0: Writing a pun title every week is charred. This week, there's new developments on, well, development, and some asking if Edmonton's lost the creative spark. Plus, Edmonton looks
1: to tackle the crisis of homelessness and unsafe neighborhoods in issues that I'm sure no one in the city will conflate. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, speaking Municipally.
0: municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 46. A brief note, at the end of last week's episode, we gave you coming up at City Council next week with three items that City Council is going to tackle this week.
1: And we did consider maybe we shouldn't do that. We've kind of shied away from
0: that in the past Mm -hmm. for good reason. We mentioned it right at the end of last week's episode. I'm like, what if we don't get to these next week? And that is the case. None of them were interesting. (laughs) We're not going to cover them this week. Or one of them at least hasn't happened when we're recording. But yeah, for the most part, we picked the wrong items. Yeah, we'll we'll keep you guessing on speaking municipally. But what you don't have to guess about is when is the rapid fire segment going to happen? Well, it's going to happen right now. The Edmonton police in partnership with
1: bike index have launched an online registry for lost bikes with the hopes of returning more lost or stolen bicycles to their owners. Bike theft remains a huge problem in Edmonton with over 1500 bicycles being reported stolen in 2018 and a meager 50 of those recovered. While this may lead some people to become hopelessly frustrated with the dire state of bicycle thefts in Edmonton and cause them to ask with extreme disillusionment what the EPS is even doing to stop bicycle theft, we at Speaking Municipally think it's important that we present the police's side of the story here, so we'll briefly read a statement.
0: Quote, Bicycle safety is a shared responsibility, end quote. The Edmonton Expo Center now has two hives of bees. Beads? Bees on top. Each hive holds a colony of around 20,000 bees. Beans? Bees, which will grow as they settle. The raw honey and beeswax... Sneezewax? Beeswax will be used in the Expo Center's kitchens in the future. Personally, I'm just happy to get more of the yellow buzzy bugs flying around as I've been seeing less and less of the skis around. Bees. Oh, bees.
1: The robots are coming for our jobs as Coronation Park was mowed this week with autonomous mowers that could also do snow clearing in the winter. While Councilor Knack gave accolades to the team as exemplifying how the city can do more with less... No one seemed to address the obvious issue that the city's first foray into autonomous robots probably shouldn't be with sharp, fast-spinning
0: blades. Has anyone in the city ever seen a movie? Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. And this episode is brought to you in part by the Alberta Blue Cross Wellness Summit. Coming up this fall, the Wellness Summit is a day to explore fresh perspectives and practices around wellness. This year, the focus is on what it takes to create a healthy workplace culture where everyone thrives. The summit is at the Renaissance Edmonton Airport Hotel on October 10th. You can learn more at thewellnesssummit.ca. So Mac, we're back and not for long. Uh, First, we're going to update everyone on the ticking time bomb. Just one week to go until Council takes its summer recess from July 22nd to August 16th.
1: Yeah, so we're going to take a break on August 2nd and 9th. We'll be back on August 16th to tell you what happened during that recess there's always something interesting that council has to deal with when they get back so
0: you get our sweet voices for just another couple weeks and i think our sweet voices will start with homelessness because well at least maybe our voices will lend some positivity to the dire state of what was it called this week a crisis that's right so
1: up at council this week our committee was uh, zoning for affordable and supportive housing so we know the numbers here approximately 2,000 people don't have a place to call home every evening. Um, Close to 500 of those people are asleep outside or are unsheltered, as the city says. And so we have a plan for this, right? We council approved the affordable housing investment plan, $132 million plan over four years. They want to build 2,500 new units of affordable housing. The city, of course, doesn't have the money to do that. So that's the first problem. Uh, The second thing is the plan doesn't make anything happen. And so the reason this came up at committee is because zoning is the mechanism by which the city can actually do things.
0: We've talked about homelessness for a long time. I'm unconvinced that the city can actually do something on this file. What are they proposing? They can take some action. (laughs) Let's
1: put it that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what they've proposed is uh, amendments to the zoning bylaw that would remove some of the barriers that currently exist uh, that administration has identified for building more affordable and supportive housing. So there would be uh, a zoning um, guideline for permanent supportive housing. There would be an expedited development approvals process. Right now, if you want to build an affordable housing project, you're in the queue with everybody else, and council wants that to be um, expedited so that there's no need to wait. And there would be an increased opportunities to incorporate housing into complete communities, is what they say. So in, the gist of it is administration says there is a modern human rights-based approach to land use planning, and these changes will bring Edmonton zoning bylaw in, in alignment with that.
0: But it's still not funded, right? We still have this $50 million shortfall that we've been talking about for how many decades now? Yeah, we still need the money to do this.
1: And Council McKean this week was calling this frustrating. He said, I don't have any answers. He said, we'd need to get support from the other orders of government on this. It's a crisis. So he's basically recognizing that, yeah, we can pass some zoning bylaw amendments and we can do the things we need to do to get ready for this, but that doesn't bring us the money to build them.
0: Have we really seen any significant increases in funding for homelessness from the other orders of government in the past couple of years? I think, spoiler alert, no, we haven't really seen much of that.
1: Not that I can think so of. So
0: this is Troy with his pessimism. I'd like to talk more about this in theory, but honestly, at this point, I'm talked out, and it sounds like council is too. We're coming up on, it's the end of 2019 soon. There's going to be another election in 21, and Mayor Don Iveson has campaigned for the better part of this decade on ending homelessness and the strategy for end poverty Edmonton. I think it'd be a real shame if he came up for another mayoral election and like, yeah, we've accomplished stuff, but we're still just complaining about other orders of government not funding the project.
1: So lots of cities though are facing this housing problem Mm -hmm. and it's not something that one mayor is going to solve. Mm -hmm. It's kind of in a rock and hard place. Yeah. Uh,
0: Well, and I would argue that maybe don't campaign for a mayoral platform on the platform of ending poverty. If you can't do it, um, maybe don't, Campaign on a platform of making transit accessible to everywhere of uh, the city. If you can't do it, but still want free transit. Speaking of identifying homeless people, uh, there was a new. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that a is that a hot take? What a lovely transition. Um, this week there was a new crowdsourced online tool called Safe City Yeg to map safe and unsafe areas of Edmonton. The City of Edmonton put out a little tool hosted by a crowdsourcing platform. That allows people to log on, not on their mobile phone. doesn't work on mobile because that's what you want with a mapping platform. You know, it's 2019. Yeah. It allows people to log on on their desktop computers and mark off a place with like a dot on a map. This place made me feel either safe or unsafe. And then why? The first thing I thought when I heard of this is, hey, cool, we're going to have a map that identifies everywhere where an indigenous person is in Edmonton at any given time. Um... Troy doesn't think this is a good idea.
1: I got that sense in the pre show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was surprised. So, first of all, maybe you can clarify that so this is actually the city of Edmonton doing this.
0: Yes. So, I'm unclear of the development process of this. I had talked with people in the past about what I assumed was this, and they were talking about making a tool that could identify safe and unsafe places with crowdsourcing. And I had told them that it was a bad idea. But those were just people, civic minded Edmontonians. This is a f- Official city of edmonton proper it's on a city of edmonton hosted website it's published by the city of edmonton counselors are extolling the virtues and apparently esslinger has been well involved in this process but this is city of edmonton proper and and they paid for this too they did the substantially less than the city normally pays for app development the budget for this project was about forty thousand dollars including development and vendor fees and launch which Likely includes some marketing. So, you know, eh, for a public organization, all right, it's it's not bad. It's not great. I would rather not pay $40,000 for something that we don't need or want. But this is the boat we're sitting in.
1: So you mentioned Councillor and and she said, what I hear from women often in the city is that they don't feel safe. So it's trying to understand how we build a city that's safe for everyone. That's what she said kind of in response to why we have this map in the first place.
0: I understand that is what she said. I... If we hearken back to a couple years ago, there was a City of Edmonton app that was a creepy child's voice played over your phone speakers and told you when you were entering a playground zone. Right. And we had Counselor Esslinger again saying, this is really going to help Edmontonians identify playground zones and slow down. My response to that was, well, Counselor, you haven't used the app because sure, in an ideal world, what you're saying is true. This doesn't help us get there. I have the exact same commentary here. Yes, we have gender-based violence is a huge problem in Edmonton. Cat calling and sexual assault and feelings of unsafe, huge problems in the city of Edmonton. The stats are clear. They need to be tackled. This does not tackle that. And I would argue this exacerbates that problem.
1: It leads potentially to what people are calling unintended consequences, right? As you say, maybe identifying people that you don't
0: like the look of. We have to break it down and think, is there any value to this tool? The answer, of course, is no. Spoiler alert. But there's many potential facets where this could have value. This tool could potentially be valuable as a research tool. If we're looking to get Edmontonian opinions on where they feel safe and unsafe and what we can do about that, absolutely a data collection mechanism to perform some research on Mm -hmm. would be valuable. If you display that information and allow people to browse other people's responses, you have invalidated any research value of your tool whatsoever. If this was submission and not a map, that's one thing. It could be a research tool, but it's not.
1: Yeah. The mayor had a press conference on Wednesday and talked about this and and basically said, some cities turn away and say, we don't want to talk about this because it's awkward or embarrassing. He said, in Edmonton, we say, not only do we want to talk about it, we actually want to hear from people whose experience has been negative negative. And confront the problem head on. So he's kind of trying to take a positive spin on this. But then city officials basically did
0: say what they plan to do with this. And it's not research. What the city officials have said is they plan to use the data collected, at least quarterly, to identify infrastructure concerns raised and take immediate actions, such as the installation of additional lighting or pathways. To which I say, hey, we've got this cool app called 311 <laughs> that can report missing lighting. Right. Right. At this point, what can you do if someone posts, hey, I was catcalled on this intersection? Right. Uh, These don't include time of day. They don't include who or what. If there was sexual assault occurring, we could report to the police or we could collect that data in a meaningful way to distribute patrols, again, as a research-based mechanism. But what this does, it's the worst of both worlds where, one, you have huge potential for racism and discrimination. Yeah. If you are at a place with poor people and you are from the suburbs, you're probably going to feel less safe. Whether that's because you're actually feeling unsafe or because you're feeling unfamiliar, what useful data we're going to get out of this tool is nothing. But we're selling this. And that's the problem I have. It's Time Yeg is the city's marketing campaign. There, You've probably seen It's Time Yeg posters on the LRT about reducing violence and harassment on... Transit, Right. Which is critically important because we know, especially women in Edmonton, feel pretty unsafe on our transit system. We've attempted to solve that with some security guards, but that's that's not addressing the core root of the problem. Yeah, it's band-aid. But when you have that entirely valid campaign being conflated with this, it makes you question what the city is doing. I do not see this as a benefit in any way. Um, and I... Definitely see this as something that's going to raise problems because we're going to get the pile on effect. People are going to see, oh, I was catcalled here, or I saw someone acting aggressively or drunk here, and they're going to add more pins, and we're going to get these epicenters. And the end result of this tool is going to be White Av and one hundred and eighteen Av are going to have a lot of pins, and then we're going to walk away saying, oh, these places in the city are unsafe. It's important to caution that this map doesn't identify lack of safety it ide- identifies perception of that's lack right. of safety
1: yeah it's not an actual crime like the city the the police's crime map or anything like that this is just somebody's perception and we all have different
0: perceptions and i absolutely identify with it and i can't i can't discount perception of safety because right. that's critically important it's the same thing as a cyclist if you're biking along a main street and a huge 4x4 truck revs his engine and really Cruises right by you, he's not going to hit you. You're not like at risk of dying, but he was aggressive.
1: And you'll feel unsafe, perhaps.
0: You'll feel unsafe. Whether that's actual lack of safety, that's up in the air, but I sure want that problem solved as a cyclist. Right. So, in the same way, we should combat perceptions of safety. And the most safe place to be anywhere is with others. So, if we have places that perpetually feel unsafe, less people are going to go there and it is going to become less safe. But when we have a map that says this place is unsafe, and it's based on just perceptions of people that may not have even been to that place, then you have a problem because when people start using this tool to determine their routes and determine where they go, we have now created the problem this tool is aiming to solve.
1: So the city could have solved this by just not having a map and Encouraging people to call 311.
0: The city could have solved this by not doing any of this. This tool provides no forward value whatsoever. We do have tools. Maybe we do make 311 more accessible. Maybe we make a specific cat calling 311. It's a streamlined form where you can log on and say, I was harassed at this point, at this time. And then it'll submit a 311 ticket, and then you'll have enforcement officers from bylaw or EPS follow up with you but it's using our existing infrastructure. Creating this new thing doesn't serve anyone and at worst is probably going to cause more problems. So those are Troy's thoughts on the map. If anyone at the city of Edmonton wants to maybe reach out to Troy before building new apps, (laughs) I've lambasted you on every time you've made an app, maybe just like stop it. You were
1: on the front page of the newspaper.
0: I was, and we'll put a link to the show notes. uh, a Edmonton Sun article a couple years ago but I was on the front page of the Sun with pain in the apps as the uh, headline at that point Dave Loken former counselor went on the radio and said that Troy guy he's an idiot who just wants attention so (laughs) who's got a podcast now Dave let's move on um we're gonna take a hard left turn and talk about development issues yeah um Station Point, a very confusingly named development in Edmonton's northeast, has an unclear future.
1: Yeah, so this was in the news this week because uh, this development, which is around the Belvedere LRT station, it was meant to be one of these um, TOD and CRL areas for the city of Edmonton. It's gone into receivership, essentially. So we had planned to build a 112-unit apartment building there uh, called Station Point Village. This project started in October 2016. It's now about 78% complete. It's going to cost another $7 million to finish. Uh, but the the developer has gone into receivership. So now its future is up in the air. So this is a TOD development that many feel maybe has been doomed from the beginning because of its location. The city forged ahead anyway and tried to make some improvements to that area. And now we'd have left without a development project. Kind of like Century Park, although even worse because there's nothing Kind of literally like nothing around Belvedere.
0: Everywhere on the Capitol Line, uh, I can think of Northlands as a station that is nothing now because we have an empty Coliseum and an Expo Center that we don't know what to do with. A parking lot for Eskimo games. Mm, absolutely. Um, we've got Belvedere with Station Point um, Stadium Station, which has the Muttart area yes, development yes um not at Hart station um and then Clairview, of course there is some stuff at Clairview, yeah there's a costco and a superstore and i guess a couple apartments and if you can make it there on foot the rec center mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the short <laughs> and skinny of it is tod in edmonton is not something we've done well historically um typically i would say because we're afraid to do tod properly We see it even with um, the current stadium station. You have high rise apartments and a rec center right by those high rise apartments. But you can't get right from the high rise apartments to the rec center because there's an LRT station in the way,
1: which will be addressed with this new development. Right. They're going to build road. But you're right. Like it's more than just being near an LRT station. Lauren Gunter not my favorite person in the world, wrote about this uh, this week in The Edmonton Sun. He said, even though the city spent millions of tax dollars on grassy knolls and fancy sidewalks, did they really spend it on grassy knolls? Anyway, uh, developers don't want to build at station point because they know what the city will not admit. No one wants to live beside the Belvedere LRT
0: station. So I mentioned in the pre-show that if you agreed with Lauren Gunter on this podcast, I'm going to kick you off as a (laughs) co-host, but it's sounding like we can almost agree with Lauren Gunter here. Kind of.
1: I mean, I think he's not saying this maybe as clearly as he could, but there's nothing to go to. Just because the housing unit is next to an LRT station doesn't mean that it's going to be a successful TOD project. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of what you're identifying as well with the stadium station, right? There's housing there, there's a rec center there, there's other facilities around, but you can't actually get to them
0: in a walkable, easy way to to travel, right? So that's a problem. We're talking about TOD, not TAD. It's not transit adjacent development. Exactly. It's transit oriented development. If the development isn't oriented around accessibility of the transit station and getting people into transit and exploring their city and exploring that development, it's not TOD. Um, And we historically haven't done TOD great. This is a big fear with the Valley Line LRT because we chose low floor LRT as a new alternative, basically because it allows for better TOD. Right. But historically, have we ever done a successful TOD in Edmonton? That that makes me nervous. And that's what we'll have to see as we go forward. And with Edmonton, this isn't an unheard of thing. A lot of our aspirational development ideas tend to fizzle and become a little muted and elise wrote a column roughly about that this week
1: yeah she wrote about station point and then in a follow-up she wrote about the exhibition lands redevelopment and the rossdale plan as well and she kind of also mentioned the quarters and blatchford uh, as i said station point and she kind of said you know we have these plans now for the exhibition lands. We've talked about that on the show before. This two um, LRT station oriented development that they want to do. There's an updated plan now for West Rossdale for the river crossing. It's the third plan they've done there. And she did not mince words talking about these plans. She basically said, they're not awful. They're just bland and uninspiring. There's no zing, no spark, no story. Uh, and said, maybe this is the best we can do, I guess. Um, she kind of is saying that we shouldn't let these previous failures station point. Some people would look at the quarters and say that it's been a bit of a failure as well. Others would say maybe it's not quite done yet, but anyway, she's looking at these and saying the worst lesson we could draw from them is to stop dreaming. We need to be creative with our developments. So she's kind of arguing for, we can do the bare minimum on these plans, but we could do much better and have a much more inspiring Project in the in the process, so I kind of have two thoughts on that. The first is it kind of ignores how hard that is. I mean, there was a lot of things put forward for the exhibition lands.
0: None of it was well received. One of them was a panopticon of just like a prison development. Uh, sorry, it was a housing development. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know the hockey thing that was
1: proposed for that site. There's you know a bunch of things that came out, but you've got to get a plan that is got a realistic chance of going somewhere. And maybe that's where it ends up getting boiled down a little bit. The other point that I think is interesting is that Michael Walters... I was going to say, when are we going to get Michael Walters' mayoral platform in here? He has talked about this, as you know, many times. He says, we need to stop over planning and thinking we need to control everything. He basically wants to sell all this stuff and
0: let private developers figure it out. Mm -hmm, Because private developers in Edmonton have definitely built things that aren't Costco's. (laughs) Yeah, so that's the problem I have with Michael Walters' plan here is private developers would never build Blatchford. Um, It's just not going to happen. We're not going to get this urban utopia because at some point, one, Edmonton hasn't seen developments like these before. So private developers aren't going to make risky plays in an untested market and throw all their chips. It's just too much risk. The city, we can absolutely take some of those risks to, you know, get our city goals a step further. This was the argument for
1: Blatchford, right? We can be an environmentally leading developer of neighborhoods and we can take that
0: risk because it's public dollar um and i mean maybe blatchford will fail and we'll eat our words but maybe blatchford will be a rousing success and then the private market will say okay right build more blatchfords but michael walter's plan to just basically sell off rossdale to private developers and then hope everything works out okay rossdale is both historic and pristine land we have one shot at that you don't get a do-over with rossdale And once you sell it all off, you don't get any influence on the decision. So, like, I can't agree with Michael Walters here at all. Um, But recognizing that he's sort of right, we've stuck our hands in a lot of pies and failed. I lambasted TOD just five minutes ago.
1: Well, the other thing he says about it is that we have to find a way to pay for these things. So in Rossdale... There's $70 million needed for roads, sewers, and a, and a park. And so he's saying we could sell the land and use the proceeds from that to help pay for the infrastructure that's needed for these developments. You know, Elise is saying about Rossdale, this is the third plan. It incorporates now an indigenous park, which the previous ones didn't. There's been a lot of effort put into righting the wrongs about the indigenous culture in that part of our city. Um, so they are kind of both have some... They're both right to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure they're going to find a way to meet
0: in the middle, though. Money, especially with a new provincial government, might be very hard to come by in the upcoming years. The previous NDP government, they were very happy to hand out infrastructure dollars, and especially with the carbon tax, when those infrastructure dollars were going to green projects. Right. We knew there was funding down the line. That's not something that we know anymore as a city. And when we're talking about a homelessness crisis, that needs a $50 million solution. And we're saying the other orders of government need to step up. Well, if they do, are they going to step up on infrastructure to give $70 million for roads in Rossdale? That's a question that we don't have answers to yet. And we'll see when the budget gets tabled in November. But I would hazard a guess that like money's going to be really tight from other orders of government for the next couple of years,
1: especially for Good old Orange
0: Edmonton, it might have different priorities. Absolutely. Last budget time in the city of Edmonton, even Don Iveson, who has this progressive vision and he wants to invest in infrastructure, he was basically campaigning for a 0% increase, you know, with caveats, but he was very on side with Austerity Edmonton. I think we're going to see that come to a head, especially with the Rossdale development. I don't think it's going to happen. I think we're going to have Rossdale be as Rossdale is for another couple decades. We'll find out soon enough. I want to talk briefly about collisions in Edmonton because it's that time of year again. The annual Vision Zero Report came out. Mac, did you have any thoughts about the Vision Zero Report? Um, no, not really. Uh, the the
1: takeaway that I saw right at the top <laughs> was virtually the same number as the year before. Yep. That was their lead. I was like, really? That's the way you're going to write this? Because there was some positive stuff, I guess. Severity trended downward. If you actually start to read into the numbers, you can, you can, Troy's shaking his head at me, but you can pull some positives, no? No? You
0: you can, and that's what Vision Zero has been doing for (laughs) years. It's saying, we have done nothing, but hey, if we massage this data just correctly, it can appear as if we've been making material change. Uh, Okay. All right. Troy recognizes he's being a little bit unfair, and he's going to walk that back a little bit. The Edmonton Vision Zero team has been very exceptional at reducing low-hanging fruit traffic collisions. So things like left turn isolated signals, where it's you know no left on red, and then you get an advanced signal, it's exclusive phase. Those are ninety-nine percent effective at reducing left turn collisions, and we've installed a lot of those. We would have installed those two if we hadn't adopted Vision Zero. This is par for the course, and it's not the radical change that we need to actually eliminate traffic fatalities in Edmonton, which is what Vision Zero is. So this annual report, it's another one of those of, okay, there's a couple percentage points decrease in severity and collisions overall are down a little bit, but not too much. And we, again, have another year where if you're a person walking in Edmonton, the least safe place for you to be is in a marked crosswalk with the right of way, which is insane, but that's the truth. It is a report that, again, the article did it best. It's nothing has changed, um, but we're updating an annual report. I think the thing to watch will be next year's annual report because council may very well this year make sweeping, aggressive changes. In January, we might have a 40 kilometer hour default right. residential speed limit with 30 in the core. That will be a huge change. And maybe we will see significant changes. Probably not next year's report because lag time and implementation, but I'm optimistic. Am I? Am I though? You don't look very optimistic. I, I like to intellectually believe that I'm optimistic, but the pessimism is overtaking my body right now. We get annual reports every year, um, and this one is very much an every year report.
1: The next one we're going to get from the Office of Traffic Safety is a list of priority intersections which I imagine will look very similar to the previous lists.
0: A final topic, and just briefly, I wanted to talk about Slumtown, a five-part investigative podcast from CBC Edmonton. Slumtown. That's that's the actual name. That is the actual name. And I haven't listened to the podcast yet. I've heard it's very good, and I plan to listen to it, and we'll share the journalism love around. Go listen to CBC Edmonton's podcast. I wanted to talk about the name because... (laughs) That's the thing to talk about. Slumtown is an aggressive name and you you sort of had the same thoughts
1: the very first time i saw that i was like wow that's quite an aggressive name to use your word i also saw uh, dave breakenridge post media editor tweeting about this saying can you imagine if the edmonton sun had a podcast called slumtown
0: i can imagine and i would (laughs) lambast them for it (laughs) I didn't bat an eye initially I because this is an issue I've been following. It roughly talks about Carmen Prevez or Abdullah Shah, as he's sometimes known. The slum landlord, please don't sue us. Uh, the slum landlord on 118th and Alberta Ave and Spruce area. And it's, it's talking about problem properties and how they negatively affect the community. Right. At least I think so. I haven't listened to it. That's the synopsis. CPC Edmonton is like pretty aggressively taking a crap on like slum town that is edmonton we are calling parts of edmonton a slum in that title
1: putting my journalism hat on this is a great role for an organization like cbc to play mm-hmm. right they have the resources to actually call shah what you just did mm-hmm. and deal with the legal consequences of that
0: they they do have advertisers but they do have public funding as well yeah. so they can take the aggressive play. And if advertisers aren't necessarily comfortable with that, well, it's not now we have to fire 10 or 12 journalists. It's okay, well, we've done something right because we made some people mad.
1: You should comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. That's one of the things about journalism.
0: Wow. Look at you with journalism experience on the other side of the table. I just read a lot. Oh, and maybe what you could do is Pay for this podcast by reading off an ad i could do that unit b is a multi-company co-working space
1: focused on helping people pursue their passions and making edmonton its creative best besides desks and offices unit b offers members access to its podcasting studio which we have used and meeting spaces as well as a kitchen wi-fi and all the usual amenities it's located on my street i can call it that right 104th street downtown it's in the historic mckinney building close to everything downtown you can book a tour at unitb.ca and we also wanted to say thanks to Unit B for giving us a shout out on
0: Twitter. Yeah, they said looking for insight that isn't normally in the news. Speaking municipally is a podcast worth subscribing to, and you, dear listener, should subscribe We're wherever podcasts are sold. Because like we look at the stats for this podcast, and a good like thirty five percent of you listen in a desktop browser on the website every week. If this is you. Can you, like, send me an email or a tweet? I want to get in your head. Are you, like, at work listening? I want to know what's your podcast workflow? Because, I mean, I just have my podcast app, and, like, when I'm biking, I'll listen to a podcast. But are you guys every week, like, navigating to speakingmunicipally.taprootedmonton.ca? Check out our website. To browse the podcast in a Uh, desktop browser in a desktop browser maybe that
1: map is not so crazy after all
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) reach out to me on twitter and or email um until next week i'm troy i'm mac and we're speaking Speaking Municipally. municipally